0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Making It in Asheville podcast. This is episode 101, and we have a very special guest today. Sitting to my left is Sarah Ubertaccio, back to the Making It in Asheville podcast. This time, though, she is not a host; she is a guest, and I am so excited to a reintroduce her back to the podcast. For those of you who might be new, you get to meet my darling wife, uh, Sarah. But really, have some sort of like grand opening socially of the QV Cucina business that people may or may not have ever seen through making it in Nashville. So welcome, Sarah.
1: Thank you. This is different. This
0: is different. It's different in a lot of ways. We are um, recording this live from our home. Uh, I guess not live, but recording it uh, from our home. And we have our uh, almost five-month-old asleep for... If, if the <laughs> scheduling that we've been following is accurate, we just changed it today, but we should have about an hour.
1: Yes, the the clock is ticking.
0: Clock is ticking. So, without further ado, please uh, let us know what is QB Cucina. Uh, how do you spell it? What's it mean? Give us a, a a sense of what's what's going on in your world right now.
1: Yeah, well, I'll tell you what we do first, okay. and then I'll maybe explain the meaning of the name, which is less intuitive, Um, but we sell Italian kitchenware, in particular, many different pasta tools. Um, We are an e-commerce-only business at the moment, and uh, we also have lots of Italian recipes and guides for Italian cooking, again, particularly focused around pasta, which is a big passion of mine.
0: So you once... We're, mm-hmm. uh, co-piloting this, making it in Asheville, uh, biz- and we'll call it a business media business with me. This was how we landed in Asheville. Uh, how old is QB Cucina? How long has it been a part of your mind vision concept of something that might be, how did it start? What, uh, what got you from a podcast to CEO of a
1: product business? Very different.
0: Than, you know, social media marketing or uh, marketing in general.
1: Yeah. Um, well, let's see if I can get my timing right. I um, have mom brain over here. Um, it's been a year and a half. We started, well, the, the concept came about right after the pandemic started. I think it was around April, May 2020. And I was making a lot of pasta at home. Tony was eating a lot of pasta at home um, because like everybody else, we were we were spending a lot more time at home and cooking a lot more and making things from scratch a lot more. Um, and I've made pasta a lot before. This wasn't anything new, but um, just had a lot more time to dedicate to it. And when I was doing that, um, I was sharing a lot of my pasta creations online on Instagram. And a lot of people were asking me, oh, how do you make this? Or um, where did you get that weird pasta tool? I can't seem to find anything like that here in the US. And so that's what gave me the idea that people were looking for these kinds of hard to find tools that I once could find when I lived in Italy.
0: Hmm. So you've opened a door now that uh, I think the average listener might not be aware of. You lived in Italy. Yes. What's so, uh, I guess this isn't just like some sort of new phase of pasta making that you might have started because a lot of people started making sourdough bread during the pandemic. And so yeah. is pasta making this like brand new pandemic uh, interest of yours, or how long has it been around? And you lived in Italy? Tell us more.
1: Yeah. <laughs> this is weird because Tony knows all of these things about me. So, um, I, this is strange talking about it, but. Um, pasta making. No, I mean, I've been making pasta. Uh, I think I, I made it a lot more when I came back from Italy. So I lived in Italy for five years. Um, right after I graduated college, went over there, uh, taught English, thought I would stay for a year, ended up staying for five. And I lived in, uh, in particular in Bologna, which is very, very well known for its fresh pasta. It's Uh, tortellini, uh, a lot of fresh egg pasta. So when I was there, I ate a lot of that and uh, learned a little bit of how to make it. And when I moved back to the United States, it was a lot harder to find that kind of pasta here. So what do you do while you figure out how to make it? Um, So really I've been making pasta a lot since I've come back from Italy and have lived here especially in Asheville where there aren't that many places to get fresh pasta like you can find in Italy.
0: And fresh pasta just I mean it might be a silly question but uh w- fresh pasta is is what? <laughs> like cuz yeah, what makes it different than pasta? Like what is pasta versus fresh pasta?
1: Yeah, so the pasta that that most of us can find is dried pasta which is made of usually durum wheat flour or semolina flour and water. It's extruded through a machine and then it is dried. Usually um, there's some sort of heat (laughs) involved, like a very low heat to dry it. Fresh pasta is, um, well, can take two forms mainly, can have either eggs and flour, soft wheat flour, um, which Italians typically use, zero, zero flour. I don't want to get too technical, but it's a very soft, finely milled flour, not too different from an all-purpose flour. So eggs and soft flour is one type of pasta. um, And that's kind of like your tagliatelle or um, any kind of stuffed like ravioli. um, That's very delicate, very, very soft. Then you have semolina and water pasta and that's typical more of the south so same ingredients as your dried pasta but um made fresh so you don't dry it afterwards there's no um heat involved to to make it um yeah those are the two types
0: got it and i imagine that shows i mean you can just taste the difference um and that's my imagination. It's also reality. Yeah. I can taste yeah. it like, now. Yeah, like
1: dried pasta has a lot more of an al dente bite to it. And it takes, what, ten, at least 10, maybe 10 minutes to cook. Kind of depends on the shape that you're making. Um, and you can, you know, store it in your pantry. Fresh pasta is going to be a lot softer to it. It still will have a little bit of a bite to it, but it's different. And takes minutes to cook from from its fresh state. So different
0: got it yeah and so but it's not like you're selling pasta it's not like you're you're freezing and shipping pasta today so what kind of things are you selling like uh yeah. uh how did you go from loving pasta to selling physical pasta tools and i'm you know i'm gonna feign uh, a lack of understanding but uh, but it's helpful because i think a lot of people have interest and curiosities and excitements and passions. It's, it's one thing to have a hobby. It's another thing to turn a hobby into a business. Um, and I'm not saying everyone should, and I don't think it's necessarily for everyone too. Uh, but you, I think wanted to and decided to, and what were your first steps and why physical products?
1: Lot of questions, Tony. A lot of okay, questions. you're gonna have to help me remember all this. Um now I now I understand how a guest might feel on a podcast. <laughs> <Overwhelmed>. So Yeah. <laughs> um so what was the first part of your question? It was well, related it was, to
0: it was you're not selling actual pasta. Right,
1: okay. So as you know, I, I we had thought about this. I had thought about it for sure, and it is still something on my brain um in some sense. But I've spent time making pasta in a restaurant um, doing a sort of an apprenticeship in New York, and it was very valuable. I learned a lot. I learned how to to scale up my pasta making, um, but it's a lot of work, and I uh, very much appreciate those who, who spend hours in a kitchen um, making pastries, making bread, making pasta. Um, anyways, I learned that I did not want to do that after going through that experience, that I really loved making pasta at home for – friends and for family and for fun, but I did not like doing it um, for the masses. So uh, that was out of the question. And the tool aspect was really interesting to me because um, it was something that that I myself wanted to find and, and had a hard time finding here. So um, an example, I remember people used to ask me about this pasta wheel that has like has like four or five um stainless steel wheels on it and it's like a rolling pin but it has sort of like pizza blade wheels on it and you use it to cut out uh squares um of pasta it's called a pasta bike um and it's really helpful when you're making a lot of tortellini or a, a lot of uh, you need to make a lot of squares very very quickly and you want to get them evenly um so that's just one example of something that can be a little bit hard to find here. And then there's the aesthetic component as well. It's like sometimes you can find the pasta tools, but they're really not that beautiful looking um and I like to have beautiful things in my kitchen and things that remind me of Italy that are made in Italy. so um that is why I did not go with actually selling pasta, but the pasta tools
0: got it and so uh I mean that makes perfect sense what I'll try and underline here Mm -hmm. is you I mean it was before we got to Asheville but you ran a test you like tested this assumption like oh I like making pasta how can I get experience in making more pasta and you realize that wasn't exciting or as fulfilling as Maybe content and storytelling and uh, community building.
1: Yeah, yeah, I get to I get to focus a lot more on the marketing aspect of it over the production aspect of it, um, which is really my passion and strong suit. Um, I like I, it's, it's almost like I enjoy more the the thought process that goes into creating a recipe and telling the story behind it. Um, than actually making the dish sometimes. Um, So, yeah, I think having it be a product-based business allows for that. And it also allows for maintaining that connection with Italy and Italian producers and Italian people, um, which I think is really important um, versus if we were making pasta here. I mean we would be just using ingredients here and in touch with producers here. Mm. Um, so I don't know having, having that connection with artisans in Italy is interesting to me too. Sure.
0: And so you said, uh, this pasta bike is going to be, is already hard to find. Perhaps it's even harder to find if you then say, I want one that's also beautiful. Uh, how did you sell it? What did you do? Well, how did you like, how did you buy one to sell one? How did you, what was the process of making your first sale?
1: Yeah. Well, the first, um, the first thing, uh, that we did was really make a list of products that we wanted to carry. And so that started out as mainly pasta tools. So it was the basic things, a pasta wheel, Right, which again kind of just looks like a, a little baby pizza cutter. <laughs> um, and they have like fluted edges, some of them. There's also ravioli stamps um, and then different kinds of uh, pasta boards, which like gnocchi boards, I think most people know that, like a ridged board that you can roll the pasta over. Um And then from there, it was kind of stalking Instagram and Pinterest and the internet at large for ideas of what we wanted that to look like and trying to find the producers. Um, Some of it was word of mouth with connections from friends of Italian friends um, and finding things that way. Some of it was just remembering Oh there there was this really cool tool in Italy that I remember seeing and let's try and find the the person who makes it um so I think we started with probably like 10 products it was mostly pasta tools I think we had a few of these rust dyed linens mm-hmm. as well um, and we just started with those we it was very much a soft kind of launch um
0: when was this I think the only date? I remember you saying it was April so far.
1: Yeah, so the idea came about in April of 2020, and then we launched in September of 2020. Um, the only real audience that I'd say we had was uh, carried over from my old Instagram slash blog, Italy Food Project so there were some people that um, I think followed me there, and I had shared it on my personal page again, and they had seen it, and um, yeah, we we made I think two sales in the first like day or weekend after launching, and it was so exciting and thrilling to. <laughs> does that
0: does that include my my mother, who I'm sure was probably one of those first probably,
1: yeah. but no, but I actually remember the first two people. Okay. Your mom was definitely one of the first. She's an early adopter. Um, <laughs>
0: it still never used any of the. Still
1: never sure. used. But, um, uh, the first people were people we, that we didn't know, which yeah. I, was, I remember being so excited by that um, because I truly thought it would be like friends and family, like pity purchases. Mm. Um, but it were people that, that didn't know and they truly, I guess, wanted our product. So that was, that was cool. That was exciting.
0: And, um, well, I mean, A, that, hey, that sounds like that's, that's like a huge moment, huge milestone moment of selling a thing. Um feels like there's a lot of learning that would have to uh, show up in the time between idea to shipping the first packaged product. Mm-hmm. And so what were some of the things that you remember early days that were like, how are we going to do that? Period. What were some of those things that early yeah. days were like most confusing?
1: Well, I have to shout out to uh, Gilly Roberts, episode four of the Making in Nashville podcast. Uh, she's the owner and founder of Where, which is a Sustainable product. I uh,
0: believe episode three of the Making It a Natural
1: podcast. Episode four. four. Yeah. Four. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have it in my brain yeah. um, because not. she, yeah, she helped me massively. I remember talking to her just about like all all kinds of, um, you know, questions about e-commerce and selling imported products on on online. Um, so she helped me a bunch. I don't. I don't remember all of the things, but I'm sure it was like. How do we, you know, what shipping platform do we use? Um, And packaging, you know, what do you recommend for packaging? And what are the things, what are the components of packaging that we need to have in place? Um, Things like even like sales tax Mm. questions, like do we need to charge sales tax and how do you implement it and things like that. Um, I remember a lot, there was a lot of, figuring out the website, hmm. which we mostly did by ourselves, um, just using a a theme and then editing a little bit. I think Garnett Fisher from, I don't remember what episode, yeah, <laughs> but a friend of ours, she helped um, helped us just tweak some of the design aspects a little bit. Um, yeah, and then we, we sort of just got it up and running. But I feel like there were so many things that I, I can't remember all of the hurdles and obstacles that we went through but um i don't know kind of figured it out thanks to friends who helped along the way yeah
0: nettie fisher episode 38 if you heard typing that was me getting the number (laughs) and i i remember those moments i remember um thinking of like you know, fractal the idea that each new edge has edges in it that are all Mm -hmm. new learnings. And I remember thinking back to, oh, shipping's going to be a new (laughs) thing to figure out. Oh, yeah, product. So sales tax can be a new thing to figure out what platform is going to be the right platform. And so uh, other business owners, uh, I, I like to subscribe personally to a move fast, figure it out with Revenue. figure it out with like profit, right? Work on the details after the biggest question of are there customers is solved. Um, Yeah. And that's not necessarily how you show up. And I I love that about us. But um, one of the questions that I oftentimes think is probably worth just talking to someone about if it's not something that you know is what platform is going to be the right platform to start on to give you the most time before you have to make some sort of like big strategic change or mm. pivot. And I know that we spent a bunch of time talking through what platform is going to be right for yeah. QB Cucina, And I'm wondering with about a year and a half worth of running the business, uh, if you could go back, how would you advise that version version of Sarah? Maybe start with what platform did you choose and why? And where are you now? Yeah. And does it still feel like the right call?
1: Well, and so I want to clarify platform. I'm I assume you mean like are we using Shopify, Correct. Big and Commerce, WordPress? Yeah. WordPress. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um yeah, this is still a question that I have for myself. I know. <laughs> as Tony knows. We we use WooCommerce um and WordPress. Sorry. So WordPress is like the, you know, everyone knows it as something like something like
0: three quarters of yeah. all websites are WordPress websites.
1: Right. And WooCommerce is the sort of Shopify ex- component of that or the, the it's how you implement e-commerce on a WordPress site. Great. So those are our two things that we use. Um, and we were really debating between that or Shopify. The reason why we ended up going with uh, WordPress, which is, which is far less intuitive to set up, and maybe not as friendly for an e-commerce only website mm-hmm. um because there's just there's just so much m- more customization required um the reason we went for it was because at the time we felt like it would be a better platform for content um publishing and sharing I don't know now if that is still the case. (laughs) Um, For a while, a lot of people would say that uh, WordPress was better for SEO, for content optimization, um, while Shopify was better for e-commerce only. Websites that maybe had like a few articles here and there, but it wasn't a big part of their business. For us, I have always wanted the content piece to be equally as important as the e-commerce portion. Um, Because I felt like there's so much education around the kinds of things that we're selling and that I really wanted people to um, build trust with us through the content and maintain trust and have that nurturing relationship there. So that's why we went with that. I, I have many woes with WordPress and WooCommerce, as Tony knows, because it feels like every time we turn around, we have to install Another plugin, another extension to help us do this, to help us do that, where Shopify, I think, is um, out of the box, much stronger for e-commerce, just simplicity, and allows you to do a lot more um, easily. So we may switch. I don't know.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, thank you. I think that was the exact answer that I was thinking. And I know that we've had many of conversations about like, oh, man, <laughs> It's, it's kind of feeling more duct taped together and harder than we would have necessarily expected knowing that, you know, Shopify, if you're going to sell a widget, if you're a widget maker and widget seller or widget importer, um, that's, I mean, Shopify, that's what it's for, right? And Shopify is like the, their mission statement is arming the rebels. And so their vision is that all these small businesses uh, can build a a valuable e commerce brand that collectively can challenge Amazon and Walmart mm. uh, because they've been empowered through the shopify platform and that's exciting, but you know a year and a half, two years ago uh, the business was pretty different than it is today, and they've been you know changing a lot and growing rapidly. I still think that on average, people are going to say, you have a lot more customization and potential to build your exact thing, your vision on WordPress. Yeah. It's just there's a lot of management and upkeep, um, it seems, on WordPress.
1: Yeah. And I think that, yeah, if I were to do it again, I probably would have launched on Shopify first. Um knowing that it could always scale up and invest in more customization on WordPress yeah. second. I think it seems like now Shopify is becoming much more competitive with content and SEO things. Mm-hmm. So as we kind of see that grow, that's kind of the temptation to switch over there the downside is that I'm most familiar with WordPress. Sure. I've used WordPress Logging. for a long time, yeah. Um, I'm not a coder by any means or like a web designer, but I know enough to to kind of get by. So having to switch would be a little bit of a learning curve, mm-hmm. um, but we'll see. Sure.
0: And so here's a question that I feel like we blew right past and mm-hmm. I wanted to circle back to it. Mm. Um, welcomed qb kuchina to the conversation welcomed sarah to the, the chat uh didn't necessarily you said what you sell did we define qb in the kuchina i mean the, no yeah maybe we should translate that to yeah. the english listener
1: yeah so the um that's one of the first questions typically get is like how do you pronounce your company? <laughs> how, does, how do you say it? Um, so it's QB, Cucina, um, which is the Italian pronunciation. Uh, QB is an acronym that stands for quanto basta. Quanto basta means as much as you need. And you will typically see the acronym QB in an Italian recipe listed after an ingredient to indicate to your taste so you know salt comma qb um it's just shorthand for season to your taste um so i liked that component because it's kind of a subtle nod to italian cooking and italian recipes and i really liked that um there's to me another meaning behind it which is you know that you can really make italian cooking your own uh so while I love and respect the traditional Italian recipes, and I hope that Italians are not um, raising their arms at me right now, I, I love even more sort of the modern takes and the creative innovation innovations that people are are having with Italian cooking, um, particularly in the pasta world. Mm. So, that's that. Um, cucina means a couple different things. It can mean kitchen. It can mean cooking or cuisine. So all food related things there. So yeah, we just sort of combined those two words together. I felt like cucina was something that a lot of Americans might be familiar with, like restaurant right? Names. Yeah, like in in Spanish, it's cocina. So there's some crossover there, and I think people just. May have heard that before, like seen it, like you said in a restaurant name. So there was an anchor there, um, whereas QB is a lot more uh, ambiguous. Yeah, yeah. People are expecting like,
0: uh, you know, but Tom Tom Brady's <laughs> kitchen, you know, and a bunch of other quarterbacks and yeah. Uh, no, I, I've I've loved it, and I've loved how you know to taste is this sort of this like invitation to bring Italy into your world for as much or as little as you like if it's just this one little tool or if you know you're going to build out an entire house that feels like a villa <laughs> hey live your life you're going to paint some frescoes on your wall like a like a you know quirky Italian restaurant in the middle of nowhere live your life but we're going to yeah. supply that
1: yeah and and the tools as well the the things that we sell we always strive to have something that's somewhat rooted in tradition. And some of the things that are very traditional, very, you know, what they were many years ago. The pettine board. Yeah. The pasta comb, which looks like this old uh, weaving loom and it's used to, to make like very specific types of pasta. Um, That's very, very traditional, but we also want to have things that feel somewhat modern and not like, we don't want people to have like a, total granny kitchen <laughs> a nona kitchen i say like i want the things that i that i would want which are like slightly more modern like a touch of rusticity but um are kind of more up to date with what's happening here yeah.
0: Be- yeah. beautiful and heirloom potentially yeah um maybe we talk, talk about the evolution of some of the product offering, some lessons that you might have had in a, you know, attempting to sell things or attempting to buy or import, how the pandemic has maybe affected that as well.
1: Mm, yeah, I feel like we're still trying to crack the code on this. Um, how we decide what products to carry. I mean, we, like I said, we started out a lot with pasta tools and we've been trying to expand the pasta tool collection since then, since we know that that is. That's really the bread and butter and the core of our business um, and the things that we sell the most of. Um, we've also tried to expand more into general kitchenware items and more giftable items related to pasta or Italian food. Mm. So some examples are we have these um, enamel bowls. Um, they're, it's like a low-style bowl, which is really good for serving pasta in. Um it has a very wide rim and pretty shallow, but like deep enough to hold uh like a minestrone if you wanted to um and the the outside has a hand painted phrase um in italian and they have we have four or five different phrases that are very typical Italian phrases, so like Oh ancora fame' which means I'm still hungry so they're just really cute phrases that always invite conversation at the table um And those have been extremely popular. So we've been trying to sell more phrases of those and um, try and uncover things that are like that. Um, So maybe someone who doesn't necessarily want to make pasta all the time, but wants to enjoy that Italian um, feel in their kitchen, that's kind of an example of something there. We've also started introducing pasta jewelry, Mm. which is actually made here in the US by an amazing company called Delicacies. And they have a whole line of um, pasta earrings and necklaces and bracelets. So that's kind of been a new thing that we've been testing out. Um, Artwork. um, What else? Uh, Linen. books. Books. Cookbooks. One of my favorite things that we carry, even though we don't sell Um, a ton of them, and it's not a great margin, product margin, because... It's
0: got to be super competitive, too.
1: It's super competitive. Amazon sells books. You can buy books at your local bookstore. There's so many other places to buy books. Um, So we try to be very, very selective about the books that we do offer. I think we only have five or six cookbooks right now, all Italian food-related, and all books that at least to me, are are aesthetically very beautiful um, and also very well-written. And we try to stay on top of like the new books that are coming out as well so that we're giving people an opportunity to get something new for themselves. Um, but I love carrying cookbooks because I love cookbooks. And um, I think it's a wonderful gift pairing with some of the, some of the other items that we have in our shop. And it's really fun to also promote the authors and communicate with them and tell their story. So, yeah, I've really enjoyed that aspect of the business.
0: And as you attempt to grow the business, what is marketing? How has marketing evolved? What does it look like today? Are you seeing particular types of success in one way or another? Like, what? What are you leaning into after about a year and a half?
1: Yeah, well, in the very beginning, um, we're very much bootstrapping it. We still are very much bootstrapping it. Um, So we relied a lot on just organic marketing, uh, Instagram, just like Instagram posting, running giveaways with similar brands, um, things that didn't cost us a whole lot upfront to do, but um, would get the word out there. We found a lot of success with influencer marketing and, uh, sharing product with people that are in the Italian food and pasta space, uh, on Instagram. So I would say that's been our number one, um, growth tactic so far. Um, we tried doing digital ads, some Facebook, Instagram, and Google shopping ads, with some success, it definitely helped us get, um, you know, get a little get our Facebook likes up a little bit, so that you know we we have a bit more of an authority on that platform, um, get our our audience growth up a little bit, get a few new customers. But it was not as successful converting wise as we were hoping. Um, How
0: do you define success in that? space
1: yeah i mean uh we looked a lot at our roi um how much money we were putting in and how much money we were making and it's pretty much one-to-one which is still pretty good i mean some months were better than others um and some ads were better than others but uh not not incredible still good to acquire new customers um perhaps but to be honest it's something that I I don't know if we did as effectively as we could have done and it could be worth exploring again. Um, It's just that we found that with our money that we do have, we prefer it's more uh, effective to, you know, pay an influencer to create a recipe for us and create content for us and share our product. Um, We get a lot more, we get a lot more value out of that. and the other thing I should add is just um, content marketing and blog posts about very, very niche and specific topics. Mm. So we've talked about you know, basic pasta tools or why brass pasta tools are better or about the very weird pasta comb that we carry. And that has helped um, drive a lot of traffic to our site. Very niche, but it seems to work. Great
0: yeah yeah, no, I, I think those are all um, that all makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that's showing up for me is uh, this concept of know who you are as a founder, and some founders are particularly great at brand creating mm-hmm. and community building and um, storytelling as this big bucket of um, skill. And then some who aren't us Mm -hmm. are particularly good at, you know, acquisition and growth. Yeah. And thinking about how to make a dollar into two dollars via Facebook, Snapchat, exactly TikTok, and those those are rarely the same person.
1: Exactly. I remember talking with um, a fellow business owner who has a strong background in media and PR and she gave me a lot of tips and pointers. And, um, one of the things she said was, you know, this is all good information and you can definitely try to implement this, but is it going to be,